everyone. Welcome back to Reality 2.0. I'm Catherine Druckmann. Doc Searles and I are talking to Sean Powers today, who you know, I'm sure. Sean has been a frequent guest and he's a lovely person and has a blog and creates a lot of content on YouTube that you should check out. And we're going to talk to him about uh, some of that, but so stay tuned. But before we get started with that, I wanted to remind everyone to check out our website at reality2cast.com. That's the number two in the URL. Thank you to all of our Patreon patrons. Thank you to our newsletter subscribers. We do send out a newsletter every once in a while, so stay tuned for that. And uh, yeah, so Sean, thank you yeah. for joining us again. We love having you because it's it's fun. <laughs> Among right. other things. Thanks for inviting me. I always love to talk with people who I know. So I know. Yeah. It's great. It's like a little party every time. In fact, yeah. Doc and I were on a podcast together literally two days ago. So uh, yeah. I know. Yeah. I only saw a clip of that. I haven't watched the whole thing or listened to the whole thing yet. Apologies. But the one clip was, uh, well, I did engage with it a bit. <laughs> that, was the, that was the diversity <laughs> was, one, right? That was where. Yeah. The Why, yeah. why there aren't. Any more women involved in, in Linux or, or, development and well, or any. we have thoughts about that. But pretty much it always rounds to any. Yeah. Very, very few. I think I called you out during the podcast. I said, I, I don't know why Catherine is not the co host today. Yeah, <laughs> actually it seemed <laughs> fitting. We knew that was gonna be the topic. We might have you know swapped you <laughs> out. Yeah, yeah. Or had more well, of a round well, we, table. I have a lot of opinions about that, but we can get to that in either in another another episode or later <laughs> because we have something a little bit more timely to talk about and that is a blog post that Sean uh, wrote we will link to it I think Sean has gotten a lot of attention in, in the last week and we wanted to ask him about that because there, there there are a lot of angles here it's interesting for so many reasons it's interesting yeah. because of the the topic and the nature of the the content of the post itself but it's also interesting to look at people's reactions and to see to see well for example how much more traffic it got than than usual but I'll let you talk more about that so yeah and, so the, tell, and us, tell us about it yeah, so I think there's a lot of interesting nuance to to this week. Uh, uh, I mean, the very short version. I won't, you know, I won't rehash the entire blog post. But uh, this is an audio podcast, so you don't know. But my hair is bright green, and uh, I dyed my hair in solidarity because my daughter, she's an adult, but uh, she was, I think, treated poorly because she had dyed her hair, and uh, I dyed my hair in solidarity because, you know, my my loved ones being treated poorly is something up with which I will not put. <laughs> so, mm. uh, the blog post elaborates on that, but also about my, uh, take on, on faith. I mean, it, it gets pretty deep to be honest. It's, uh, uh, one of the more vulnerable things that I've, I've written. Uh, but it was, you know, retweeted by, I have a, a friend of mine, Jim Wright. He's far more famous than me. And he occasionally will retweet something that I've tweeted. This is one of those cases. I, I made the post and he retweeted it. But uh, the traction that it got was um, far more than just because it was retweeted by somebody with a lot of followers, right? It, it, it didn't just get a lot of uh, likes and retweets. It got so much engagement. It got hundreds and hundreds of comments and uh, you know, there were there were retweets and comments on the blog post and follow ups and just everywhere um, and even followers on Twitter. Right. I mean, normally when you have a post that goes really popular, uh, it doesn't equate to more people following you because they care about what you're saying. You know, just that thing piqued their interest. So they like it and retweet it and walk away. But there's over a thousand more people now in the past two days who are following what I say on Twitter because of that post. And so it was a really uh, interesting uh, situation based on a, a sad premise, right? I mean, the reason my hair is green is a little bit sad that my daughter was treated poorly by uh, the school that she graduated from years ago. Um, but I think it just speaks to a larger issue in general that, um, uh, people I think are afraid to be vulnerable with their, their thoughts and their, and their um, perceived shortcomings or their um, when they're, they don't follow the, the norm. And uh, I'm glad that I kind of put myself out there in a vulnerable way because it almost allowed people to uh, express that, Hey, you know what? Uh, yeah. I, I kind of feel the same way, but you know, they never really had a voice to say it, a knew a way to say it or uh, knew what to say. So I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty happy with, um, not just the amount of engagement. Cause that feels pretty douchey, right? Like, Oh, the numbers are so impressive, <laughs> uh, but rather the type of engagement. And, and I'll end with this. I know I've been talking the whole podcast now, but, um, 
Twitter, right? Which is where uh, garbage fires go for garbage or for mm -hmm. dumpster fire entertainment, right? I mean, Twitter can be so incredibly horrible. And of all the hundreds and hundreds of uh, replies that I got on Twitter, not a single one of them was negative or nasty or uh, even slightly um, cruel or, or mean. It was amazing to see Twitter be kind and empathetic and it was just cool. So, yeah. I didn't realize actually when, when I first did our little intro, how much tie in actually there is between the topic of your blog post and the topic of this week's floss weekly, or at least the, the subtopic, which was women in Linux and why, you know, why is there not enough diversity in the Linux community? Because at its heart, there are so many similarities. And my, my initial reaction to that was, was, well, you know, one of the reasons there aren't enough women is because the second a woman puts herself out there, or at least this was my experience with the women of Linux Journal, the, the feedback is instantly about our appearance. We get, you know, and we're alienated because of for something about our appearance. With me, it was, oh, my God, she's fat. Or with, or with you know, somebody else, it was, well, well, she looks great in that dress. She's super hot. And, you know, neither is really appropriate or or useful frankly especially when you're talking about technology because it's not relevant um and so in this case when the start of all of this we're talking about a young woman being alienated on the basis of her appearance and i have some very strong feelings about that anyway i just thought i'd throw that out because this is all it's the part of the same phenomenon yeah and um yeah and when you start a conversation with your appearance doesn't fit for whatever reason um, yeah, there are lots of con negative consequences to that. And this part, and, and it's funny too, because I think that it's, if it, the part that really got me going wasn't even that, and that in and of itself is, is a worthy conversation of having. I mean, you, you point out a, a great point, one that, one that escapes me because it, it's not my experience, right? I'm right. a, I'm a straight white middle-aged man. So, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm you playing have to dye the your game hair of, bright green for anyone I, to comment on your yeah. appearance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm playing life on the easiest setting, right? So I, I miss I miss a lot of the nuance, and you know, I saw my daughter just gutted and crying, reliving the rejection that she got when she was in school, uh, you know, in the school that she's since graduated from, be because she looked different, she carried herself differently, she had different thoughts and opinions. She's uh, she's more liberal uh, than the the Christian conservative school that you know she went to, uh, so. Yeah. And then this particular case was interesting because uh, there was a rule that she couldn't have uh, unnaturally colored hair and still be an official coach. I, I think that's a dumb thing. And like I said, that in, it, in and of itself is, is a worthy conversation to have about, you know, what does professionalism mean and should it, you know, be based on looks. But that wasn't even what was so upsetting for me. Um, if that's the rule, whatever, you know, so she decides whether she does or she doesn't want to volunteer. She wasn't even being paid uh, volunteer to be the coach. Um, but that rule was not even uh, told to anyone. She didn't even know that that was yeah. a rule yeah, <laughs> until after she had already bleached and dyed her hair and come in and uh, and was you know, adorable. Okay, sorry. Silently being judged and nobody even told her. She heard through the grapevine that she wasn't able to be a coach anymore, which is just crappy in and of itself. But I think that's more tacky than anything else. The whole like, don't tell about a rule and then the rule happened. The real crux and, and the thing that caused me to publicly uh, decry the situation is that she was allowed to still help in practice and teach the team in private at practice, but in public, she was not allowed to be an official coach. She could not sit on the bench during games where people would see her associated with the team, but it was deemed okay for her to help in private where nobody would see her. And that was the, that was the, the line in the sand for me. You know I mean? That it just seems like that is the absolute definition of hypocrisy. And that, uh, I just thought that was, that was too far. And so anyway, that's, that's the crux of the situation. And honestly, that wasn't even the, 
bulk of the post. That's the part that has been difficult for my family this week because uh, we've gotten a lot of uh, unpleasantness uh, from the from the school. Uh, but that wasn't even the bulk of my post. The bulk of my post was about my own uh, frustration with you know the standard American Christianity and and how I fit into that. And, you know, that's the part that I was vulnerable about. That's the part that the vast majority of people connected with and and uh, addressed. So it was almost two separate topics. And uh, it it was strange for me to see uh, to see how many people resonated with me. It was great, though. I mean, yeah, we want to people want to belong right And to to see people who uh, uh, share your your struggles is almost more bonding than people who share your, uh, you know, your publicly positive things or whatever. I want to hear from Doc, but just really quickly, I wanted to point out one thing. And and that is to anybody listening right now, and we're a few minutes in and you're going, hey, Catherine, I thought this was like a technology podcast, but I swear (laughs) this is relevant. We're going to tie that back in because I think the technology, the, the way that we interact on the web is a social, but also a slightly technical conversation. And I think that that is what leads to this increasing alienation and, and tribalism and, and, and people really digging their heels in on their positions and, and in ways that are potentially harmful. But anyway, I just wanted to kind of point out that there's some technology in here. We'll, we'll probably get to that, but I, now I want to hear from Doc a little bit. Yeah, well, um, it's funny. I never thought of this as an exclusively technical podcast. Um, yeah, reality 2.0, I think, covers a lot of ground. Uh, but to me, reality 2.0 is that we live technical lives now. And that that is, we are digital beings and not just physical beings. We are extended by our devices and we live in these. And and, and yet the, the flywheels of business as usual and morals as usual and religion as usual and a lot of these other things as usual are still with us. And they get spun I think they get sped up even um, <clears throat> by the by the conversation that happens online, and w- which gets isolated. And you know, we're all algorithmically nudged all the time to agreement with others who agree with us, or we might agree with, or that the robot thinks we might agree with, and that drives us farther and farther apart through a process the sociologists call homophily, the, ten- the tendency we have to group with others like us in some way. Appearance is an interesting thing to me in, in part because part of the human design is that we all look different and we all sound different by design. We, this is called, you know, we're, we're, we're heterozygotic. Um, so are apples. So are lots of other animals. But we all, we're all, we all differ. You can tell us apart. Dogs are all different. That's why they smell different to each other. Um, and yet we, you know, we apply homophily there. We want, we have a bunch of ideals and the, the way people should act and how they should be. So something that struck me, especially about your case, Sean, uh, where you went into your religion in a way, I mean, you talked, you talk about the levels of faith and what faith means. And it struck home for me in some ways, because I've been exposed to many different, mostly Christian religions in my life. And have had a bunch of religious experiences. One I've never talked about, but I might just throw in here just for the fun of it, is that I fill in with some Pentecostals when I was early in college and even spoke in tongues with them, then found out they were all racists and I punched out along with a bunch of other students at what was a Quaker college at the time. And I really loved the Quaker approach to religion, which is that there's that of God in every person and that we're all preachers, as it were. And if you go to a Quaker meeting, basically that's it. You sit in silence and don't speak until you can improve on the silence, as they say. And I've always found that the most agreeable religion. And then I married a Catholic girl. <laughs> and now I'm in alignment with that. So, but I was raised in a Presbyterian and then, you know, uh, household. I wouldn't, I don't think my parents even knew what Presbyterianism stood for or what a presbyter was or if they cared. But then it was sent to a Lutheran academic correctional high school and, and got somewhat indoctrinated in that. Where this goes for me, and, and this is to me the important part, is that in a technical world, we tend to think everything is science and everything is reasoned and everything is deductible and and we lose what the soul is about. 
I think um, I think the soul cannot be described um, scientifically, and yet I think we all sense that we have one. There may be some among us who just deny that, that we are only brain activity and body activity. But I think that there's, there is, you know, there is something of the soul that may or may not survive our departure, um, but, but is there and is unique and is different for all of us. And we all have something, in some cases, many things to contribute. And so anyway, your post, Sean, just basically moved me to think a lot more about all of that, about which I have no firm and enduring decisions, just a sense. And I, I appreciate that. And it, so, and you ended up, you know, talking about like a soul and, and if, if, if the soul is a thing and part of, part of my struggles are, are with, I mean, faith at all. Right. You know I mean? If you read the, or listen to the, listen to me read, that's, you know, my blog is also available via audio on the same page, but the, um, I think that it's so easy for us to, uh, separate ourselves from people who share even a slightly different view of what must be true. Um, and it's, it's difficult to find, find a group of people who you, uh, agree with on, on things. This isn't just religion or, or anything. This is just in general, right? It's hard to find a group of people who you, uh, f- feel close enough in your, your thoughts with to, be part of that group. And I think that we, we end up siloing ourselves into groups of people that are a lot like us, but then we're kind of stuck there, right? Because if, if, if the people in our silo with us knew that we had a slightly different thought on this, or, uh, we weren't quite as sure about that, you know, would we still be part of the silo? And so I think we, we kind of struggle in silence. We rather say nothing than risk the exposure and and possible getting kicked out of the club so to speak and that that's what i what i saw on twitter i saw people who uh were silent so as not to alienate themselves from whatever group they were potentially in and uh it's just strange and i think religion is probably one of the most polarizing things in that regard Uh, but uh, just in in general in every you know every aspect of our lives sometimes we pretend to be who we aren't so that we're accepted and that seems unhealthy on a lot of levels yeah for some reason i'm reminded of um something garrison keeler said but when he was talking about his he was raised in a in a very fundamentalist church that was very small the the sanctified brethren they were called and he said they were living proof that no sect was too small to split (laughs) over over doctrinal issues I'm very aware right now, or in this time, of a tendency that a lot of us have, if we're being careful, to not say things. Um, in in the academy, and I've I've been affiliated with now four major universities, and in in every one of them, I know that people who are politically or economically conservative are not speaking their mind because it's dangerous. You could get uh, you could get canceled, um, and it just I'm I'm not one of them because of, I don't have very doctrinal beliefs. A friend of mine has a, a blog called Strong Beliefs, loosely held. Um, I'm kind of like that, but you know, if you think climate change models are a crock, or if you think that smaller government is good, or if you think that there are really only two genders and everything else is an opinion, you're not going to say that. <laughs> you're just not. And and likewise, if you're um, in some parts of the country, you can't express your opinion that there are, you know, that gender is a major issue, that climate really is getting worse, that... Um, Government needs to, there's a lot the government needs to do that uh, the market isn't going to do. And you can't say that. And, and that's worse. And it's, and it's getting real personal too, you know, in the sense that some of us are following Trump as if he were, you know, a God and, uh, and hating Biden for a whole bunch of things. And uh, uh, on the other side, I I don't know, I think they're, I'm, 
I sort of agree with Will Rogers, who said uh, he doesn't belong to any organized party because he's a Democrat. You know, so that's sort of the other side. But, um, but it's bad. You know, it's bad, and and you don't see the other very much. I try. I try to look across the fences and. I try to reach across them as much as I can. And it's really, really hard if you're trying to do that. I I saw an interview years ago. Well, it was during the 2016 election, I guess. It was with Bill Clinton. And, you know, something you, you said, you know, about having fear about, about expressing partisan political opinion. And what he said, basically, was that he saw the trend of, it was, you know, in order to win politically, you ha- people were pushing themselves further and further to the extreme. And the right had done it, as he, in his in his opinion, the right had done it before the left, but now he was seeing the same thing on the left. He was sort of excusing why Hillary was maybe not doing as well or getting as much attention as people like Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, but what, what's interesting to me is I agree with him. I, you do, we, we do see politicians on both sides going further and further away from each other, away from center, uh, in order to compete, basically, to get more attention. You know, you get more social traffic the more extreme you are, which is potentially harmful. Um, but also, you know, something that you said also made me wonder, though, I, so many things that we now consider to be political positions like your feelings about gender your feelings about covid your feelings about public yeah, health another one. Yeah. these are things for which there is scientific consensus among people in those in those disciplines and that's the thing that concerns me the most these are not political questions i'll just take covid the fact that wearing a mask or taking a vaccine has become a political issue is honestly terrifying and the fact that it's now a political position to attack and go after scientists and physicians and, and, and all of these things is disturbing. And I, how much of that, how much is the way that internet discourse works today a part of that? Because to me, I, it seems yeah. damn relevant. Yeah. So it, it is. I, I think that the, uh, the place we are currently in society couldn't have happened without a much larger audience, right? I mean, because these these things don't happen in small communities, I think, because there's a little more uh, respect when when you know the person. But uh, you guys brought up something. So the same daughter, right? the same daughter with with bright red hair, she's in college now, and uh, she's taking a political science course this semester. And the course is it has a silly title. It's like uh, uh, guns, guns, shots, and something else. Basically, all of the controversial things in our you know political mm-hmm. world today but the she's frustrated now this is this daughter is um she's incredibly intelligent and very much involved with uh the current state of the world and politically and in and, and these things so i mean it's not a, a fluke that she's taken a, a poli sci course but she's particularly frustrated with this course because the entire premise is uh, the instructor wants to have conversations about difficult things without it turning into an argument, which I think is a respectable desire for, a, you know, a college professor to want. Like, okay, how can we talk about gun control without uh, it turning into, you know, monkeys throwing crap at each other, right? And mm-hmm. the problem is uh, the very first class, uh, he, the teacher was using something that he assumed was going to be an absolutely clear um, topic. He was talking about slavery being wrong. And that's that controversial seems, now? No, okay. Oh Doesn't that God. seem like, <laughs> that seems like a, a good wow. example of this is wrong. But no. there's an older gentleman in, in the class who said, who, started arguing and this was it was rhetorical at that point right i mean the the professor wasn't looking for feedback it was obviously slavery is bad right yes and then the person in the class said at the time it wasn't wrong there was nothing morally wrong with it at the time And, and at this point my daughter was like oh my god what have i gotten into definitely morally wrong it's just people yeah, i mean and, and you know and the teacher was like okay whether it was accepted or not it was morally wrong you know maybe they didn't 
think it was morally wrong at the time, that doesn't mean it was morally right to enslave another human being. You know, I mean, that that shouldn't have been in question whether or not it was wrong, morally wrong, but it was. So anyway, my point there is, you know, that's why she's frustrated, which she doesn't, she's not looking forward to this semester because, I mean, if that's the group that she has to give equal uh, value to, that, that's, that's the issue. That's the struggle that I think she has and that I have is that when you two sides an issue, that only works when the two sides are uh, of equal, uh, I, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for here. I mean, if, if the two sides are uh, human beings um, have individual rights, regardless of skin color, and the other side is black people have fewer human rights because they're less human. That's, that's not two sides of a conversation. You know, that that's not, you can't give equal footing in a conversation when the other side is slavery is okay. And so that's where I think that our, our political discourse, our conversations recently have fallen apart because anytime there is an quote unquote, you know, scare quotes here in the video, an opposing view, if that opposing view is is not up to intellectual and moral par with the premise, it, it's not equal sides, right? It's not like there's good people on both sides. I, I yeah. was trying not Except, to say but, that quote, but I mean that's no, 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 that's the point. Yeah. There are. I, I actually this is a, this is along those lines. And um, okay, first I have to say that person, if they had made the argument not about slavery, but about. <laughs> um, viewing the past through the the, the the lens of the present can be problematic. I mean, it can. I get it. But I'm, that's, I'm okay. laughing because the teacher, uh, my daughter was telling me, the teacher tried every possible olive branch right, to, right, right, right. to sanity. Nope. The, those things like, okay, at the time, perhaps viewing through those. And he's like, no, at the time it was. It was morally looking right. Back, it was morally correct. Oh, my gosh. So anyway, yeah, so I didn't mean to interrupt you. It was just funny because the teacher tried so hard. Ugh. I I know I, I know of teachers who have had to um, accept research papers from students, not naming any names here, but <laughs> had to accept research papers from students um, defending the Holocaust. Like as well, they had their reasons. That was okay. Um, and teacher who is also Jewish was not allowed according to the administrator the school administrators to fail the student or that she had to judge it purely on a re the research techniques because you know the parents at the school had enough influence mm -hmm. that um yeah that they could Raise a stink if you fail their kid for having uh, the the opinion that the Holocaust was maybe justified because you know those darn Jews and all the trouble they create or something. I mean, seriously, there are. I mean, there are communities around the world who. Um, I'm not. <laughs> this is. Oh, we've gone way too far into this topic, but yeah, there are a lot of people in the world who who think it's totally okay to target a group based on the religion. And, and I, I don't think that makes it morally okay. Anyway, go ahead. Well, well, a few thoughts about this. George Lakoff wrote a book called Moral Politics in 1995 that in a way began when he heard Dan Quayle, a now mostly forgotten Republican, but he was a vice president under George Bush, the elder and a conservative, um, say about progressive taxation, why should the best people be punished? What did he mean by best people? He met the oh, richest good people. Lord. So well, oh. here, here's the thing. There are moralities. <laughs> Why do people here. even open uh, their mouths? Yeah, well, half the country or close to half the country believes the same thing. Why do they believe that? They believe that because, according to George, they see the nation as a family and they see a model of the family that is headed by a father, not a father and a mother, but by a father, a strong character, because the world's a dangerous place. And you teach by rewards and punishments, and you teach a moral, you teach a kind of morality. That morality has what he calls moral strength and moral order. Moral strength says this, strong is better than weak. Um, and you punish 
weakness and you reward strength. We do this in school. We have good students and bad students. That's a moral judgment. This one's better than that one. We're going to fail the bad ones. We're going to pass the good ones. We're going to reward some. These ones are gifted and talented. These ones are in the AP class. These ones are whatever, but they're good. They're better. They are literally better, morally better, frankly. And that's a moral judgment. Um, we lived in an era until very recently that Rianne Eisler, who's still alive, I think, an anthropologist who survived the Holocaust, I believe, um, called the Dominator Era that lasted like 20,000 years. This is when might made right, men ruled, and um, the victors got the spoils and uh, the, the victims were losers. And there was a moral framework for this. And Trump talks about this all the time. He's a winner. Winners, winners are on top. Losers are at the bottom and you punish the losers. You know, he said about um, uh, John McCain, you know, I don't like guys that got shot down. Right. To him, he was morally compromised that John McCain was morally compromised by the fact that he got shot down. He was a loser and you punish the losers. And the Constitution is written by a bunch of men who didn't acknowledge that women had equal value, didn't need to vote. Slavery was okay. Um, there was a moral framework for that. It's not one we're in now. It's not one any of us today who are sane would condone, but it was one that prevailed. And it's one that still prevails to some degree, to a large degree in the country. And it's a, it's what George calls a strict father morality. And the, on the other side, what you might say is our side, um, is what he calls a nurturant parent uh, morality in which everybody's equal the world is basically a good place. You don't have, you don't teach by rewards and punishments. You help the weak, you help the poor. Um, and these are opposed. These are highly opposed and they aren't very surfaced. Um, and we argue from these places um, and it's really hard to cross them. And we could in the past, I think, kind of get past it because we could ignore them, but now it's much harder. And I don't think it's sufficiently explored. George, I haven't heard much of George lately. He just does have a something tweets in his name, but he personally doesn't. He's older than I am, so it makes him pretty old, I guess, at this point. But I think we need him like, to help mm -hmm. sort this out. Yeah. I hope that yeah, we can... True. I hope we can figure out that because I, I think that technology is making this possible with, uh, you know, social media, not, not just the idea that people can connect. I don't think that in and of itself is the problem, but when algorithmically we are fed things that reinforce our, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the obscure, I would argue, incorrect, uh, moral views on things when it's amplified because that's what we click on right. Right. we think it's the extreme yeah and and we think that it's more uh more real or, or more widespread than it is which makes it more widespread than it is you know i mean it it like it nurtures the the uh, the tiny seed of terribleness that you know we all have our own variety of and when we see it uh constantly being uh echoed we think that it's not just, um, we think it's okay because, you know, uh, you know, might makes right, you know, majority, the m most people feel this way. I knew I was right all along. And really it's not mm -hmm. the majority of people feeling that way. That it's just the majority of people that they are fed, you know, and, and I don't, I hope that we, we can fix that because I think that's, that's just changing who we are and a real level based on uh, the an inaccurate view of who we currently are, which is just so bizarre. You know, I mean, be, you know, we're, we're, we're fed untruth, but then it becomes truth because uh, that's what people think is true. I don't know. It, it's yeah, technology. Well, just, I don't know oh, if we're going to make it past the technology revolution. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that's so the interesting thing to me is so many people are throwing out these technical solutions to all these problems. Doc and I had a conversation recently about a content authenticity initiative yeah. from Adobe. And it, it's funny to me. And I mean, funny in the not humorous. In a cynical way. <laughs> yeah, funny in a, oh my God, this is terrifying way. <laughs> Which is not the meaning of funny at all. But anyway, uh, funny to me 
that it's it's ultimately a bunch of nerds and marketing people and you know trying to to work out these these solutions and uh, in our own sort of little uh, bubble and uh, it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the world accepts these solutions that we're throwing out there but if a bunch of nerds are responsible for uh, saving the world i mean why not somebody's got to do it yeah, it depends on on what brand of nerd they are. Are they the brand yeah. of nerd who wants to accumulate wealth, or are they the kind of nerd who wants to make the world a better place? <laughs> Let's hope the latter. Yeah. I don't know. Sadly, those people don't have enough money to make it happen, so it's pretty clear yeah. which well, kind I mean, of nerd what is what if gonna... <laughs> both? What if you could actually make some money making the world a better place? I don't know. I don't know. If anybody knows that we'll recipe, see. hook me up. We'll see. It's, it's <laughs> tough because as, as long as we're in... in electronically mediated social environments that are rigged to feed confirmation bias at all times, we're going to get that. Yeah. And, and I don't, I, I think the way to beat it is to actually obsolesce those media somehow. And, uh, I don't know, we have our own little project here in Bloomington, Indiana, we're working on, but it's going to be tough. I mean, they're just sort of like trying to prove something locally. That we may not be able to do, but you know, we're trying to work it out. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's confirmation bias is a very powerful thing, and algorithms love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah, gets engagement. Engagement, which gets Money. you know ad sales. I mean, that's which gets ad sales. To me, it, 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 one of the long term outcomes of this should a sane result happen. Um, is that advertising as a whole just gets becomes the pariah that it needs to be, frankly. Um, I mean, I think there's there are kinds of advertising that are essentially harmless. They're the kind that's not tracking you, but annoying people as as a business model really is problematic. I mean, even on, on one of the things I like about Sirius XM is I can listen to a, a show there. And I could go back and forth in time. And like on a sports cast, I like to listen to sports stuff. You have to hit the little circle that says 30 in it 16 times to get through 16 ads to get to the next wow. part where people are talking. And then there's still promotions and teasers and the rest of it. And then you get like three minutes of people speaking substantively and then another 16 ads. That's horrible. I mean, and, but at least, at least there I can skip over them. But what value are they to the people who paid for that, for that, make a better is, product. You know? It's interesting Just, for me too. Be, and I mean, everybody who's listening probably knows if they follow me, you know, I'm, I'm working towards transitioning to a creator, like a uh, career, right? I mean, I'm, you know, I'm still, I have a day job as a system administrator, but you know, I'm on YouTube and, and blogging and all of these things. It's interesting for me to uh, figure out the monetization of, of how that works because right now and i'm just going to be transparent with money and technology hopefully that's okay um there's if there's revenue streams from the creative stuff that i'm doing now and i'm very small it's not like i'm supporting anybody even myself but uh youtube ad revenue right now i get about 100 bucks a month okay um and i have i don't know what i have over 5,000 subscribers, uh, but about $100 a month from those like 5,000 subscribers and however many additional views from people who are not subscribers. And then the other revenue stream I have is um, Patreon. And in Patreon, I have 10 patrons, like 10 human beings who have decided to contribute money towards me. And I get almost the exact same amount of support, financial support from the 10 people as I do from all of the ads that play to all of the thousands of people that watch my videos. And I don't know if that's like the future of how content creation support is going to work. Um, but it's fascinating. It's fascinating to me that, uh, you know, when people are the product, you know, the advertisers pay to get people's eyeballs or whatever, uh, how, small and minuscule that ends up being uh for the person creating the content like myself versus somebody who uh you know decides i like this person i want to support them so it, it's it's a fascinating thing i don't know if it's a trend that's going to like go one way or another the other thing and i'm sorry then i do want to hear what you have to say about that but i'm also curious 
what ads play on my videos? I don't have any idea, but I'm curious. I mean, if it's targeted and based on the people who like what I do and how I do it, I'm curious what sort of ads play. And that, that information doesn't appear to be available to me as a, as a creator. Um, yeah. But you can, can you, can you opt out of specific ones? I, I remember from a hundred years ago dealing with Google advertising that you could say, we don't want this, these companies or these categories to appear on our content. Can you still do that? Uh, maybe or I not- could. I don't, I haven't seen that as a creator where I could do that. Um, but probably cause yeah, I mean, if I was a company, I wouldn't want my direct competitor, you know, right. Running ads on my stuff. But, um, yeah, I don't know what, I, and that is just general morbid curiosity that it really doesn't have anything to do with, uh, uh, the whole premise of advertising. I'm just curious what, you know, what am I, what do the people who like what I do look like to um, advertising robots? You know, are they what sort of? A couple yeah. things here. Um, one is, am I wrong that you actually pay YouTube not to show you ads personally? Like you, you pay, I do. Yes. Yeah, yes, I do. Yeah. Personally. So that's an interesting thing too. I mean, like <laughs> that, that it has value. YouTube has more value to you without ads than it does with ads. That's one interesting thing. Here's another. At this moment in history, it's assumed that there are only two business models, um, sponsorship and advertising. In other words, Patreon is sponsorship. It is an interesting fact that you get as much out of 10 people as you get out of God knows how many views uh, with ads on it on YouTube. And God knows how they're gaming that either. You know, there's probably very little accountability going on in there. You know, not only the kind that you want, which is what, what kind of ads are shown to what people, um, but even what, I mean, YouTube runs the whole show, so, or Google runs the whole show, and they can show you what they want. And there's, there are no people in white coats with, with pocket protectors uh, going in there saying, how are your algorithms work, working like they would in, say, a nuclear power plant, even though the data centers probably suck it, you know, as much grid off the uh, power off the grid as a, power plant might put out. Um, it, it doesn't bother me, but I am quite convinced that we are, we are approaching peak subscription at the same time as we're approaching peak intolerance of advertising. Um, and everybody wants a subscription now. And the subscription game is horrible. And I've written about this a lot to absolutely no effect and pretty much no interest either. Um, but I'm going to keep doing it. I, I think that I think subscription is completely broken. Um, <laughs> trying that we have no way of our own to control all the subscriptions that we have, um, and the companies stepping in to help us with it, like Google and Apple, um, don't do a very good job, and they only do it in a very limited way. Amazon is the same kind of thing. You want to subscribe through Amazon? Yeah, it's easy to turn on things on and off, sort of. But why subscribe through Amazon? Why not have your own tool? That's like a spreadsheet that shows everything that you've got. And, and if a, and if a subscriber, if a, if a company, if a publisher changes their subscription deal, it automatically appears in your tool and you can control that in some way, but they're all trying to game you. They're all trying to get more money out of you and, and game you in different ways. And the cognitive overload is huge in, in the absence of a tool to control it. I think if you look at, it's something I, I learned when I was working as a board member for the Palo Alto Red Cross, which no longer exists. I think it's just a South Bay Red Cross. But as a person who came in, it was really good at fundraising and said, here's how the economy works. You play value for value. And the efficient thing is to have ways that people understand the value that they're getting out of this and that, and to make it as easy as possible for people to pay for that. And in 2007, a bunch of us came up with something called Emancipay, which the idea behind which is, you should have a way to keep track of everything you listen to and watch and then throw money at those things in a way, you know, at the end of whatever period you want, where it's easy and it's on your terms and it's easy to do. In other words, make it as easy as possible for the buy side to pay the sell side with tools that belong to the buy side, and the buy side controls. Are you familiar with the a basic attention token in the Brave browser? Yeah, I am. But it, you have okay. to do it in the Brave browser and it's got the whole yeah. crypto thing in it. It's like, it's too twists, too complicated for me. Mm. It's the same reason I didn't buy a hundred bucks of Bitcoin at the time that would have <laughs> made me a billionaire, but I didn't. And the Brave attention token is like that for me. It also seems a bit gamey to me. And I like, I like Brendan. I like 
I like Brave. I use Brave. Um, but I'm familiar with it. But why should I need a Brave to do that? I want, you know, I have my own word processor. I have my own tools for doing other things. I want a tool for doing, for how I spend my money. Where did my money go? How do I spend my money? And nobody's got that. And nobody wants to approach solving this problem from the customer side or from the user's side. So, but I think people will eventually because we're going to run out of patience with both the problems with, with, uh, uh, with uh, subscription and with advertising. But it'll probably happen after I'm dead. But, you know, it might be worth more now because, oh, Doc's dead, but he said this, you know, so that might work. Um, well, I... I think we've I think we've covered it pretty well. I wonder what if we did, have any final thoughts. What did we thoughts. even talk about today? I don't even know. Wait, I, know. <laughs> I don't know, but it was some deep yeah. stuff. I, I've probably I, I'm going to have to go back and edit out all the you know controversial things I've said. I guess there's a uh, <laughs> I was on a call once with a guy, um, and it was it was a business call. It was many years ago, and 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 I held forth a little too long on one thing, and, and this guy says to me. Well, Doc, I think you really nailed that one to the floor. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what that metaphor means, but it could be we've nailed some things to the floor here. Yeah, I think, no, I I think uh, it was good. I think, I think that something like this, it, the content of your post was excellent, but I, and not, but sorry. And I think it provided a really good jumping off point for a conversation that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with your blog post. But so that's, that's the interesting part because there's so much to talk about when you talk about that type of content, should it even be controversial? Probably not, but that type of content becoming so controversial because people, we are in this weird tribal mentality that is, that is amplified by the fact that we use social media as our sort of main communication tools these days. So anyway, there's, there's a lot to talk about and there was a lot to talk about and there will be more to talk about, but we yeah, appreciate I, that I always, you let us use you as our jumping off talkers. point. Yeah, yeah I appreciate that. Cause I like the idea of tribalism as a, as a conversation because, uh, you know, uh, we're a, we're a societal creature and I'm, and we have not scaled well, <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we have all the tools to communicate now globally and our, you know, our, our village upbringing, uh, you know, our small group tribal yeah. be there for each other has just not scaled. And I don't yeah, and know. What, and what do we do that. now that our own village yeah. turns against itself? I don't, you know, I well, don't know. Because it got too big, right? I don't know. Okay. It's, I don't well, know. We're, we're a big species. And, and I mean, an interesting thing about human history is that um, when we didn't get along with the next tribe, we just moved on, right? That's how humans populated the world. You know, we, we're, we truck, we move on. We, you know, we're ambulatory and we're migratory and we nomadic and we go elsewhere where we can, you know, try again to some really inhospitable places. I mean, think of all the people that lived in in the frozen wastes. We go, that was not an easy place to go, but people went there and stayed there, and eventually, I guess, liked it there. But the but the but now we have to get along. Now we're all packed together. Right? Yeah, you know? that's the thing. I mean, one it... non place where there's no gravity and there's no distance. You know, that's amazing. You know, yeah. we're we're all over the place, and but now we're not so much united, but exposed to each other, exposable to each other on a constant basis. We can either solve problems with that or just make them worse. It's a whole lot easier to make, easier to make them worse than it is to, you know, to solve them. Yeah, we yeah. have to talk to each other, you know. I have one final observation so that we can end on a positive note. <laughs> Your hair really does look great, Sean. That Thank vibrant you. green is really holding up. Number one and number two, it just suits you. I, you know, I find myself just staring at your I hair. <laughs> I have a little story actually. <laughs> that we, I'm plant based. Yeah, I'm I also remember. wearing an orange shirt, so I look, you know, pumpkin Halloween today. Yeah, no, it's yeah. great. It's, it really works. Um, it is Orange Shirt Day today. So if you don't know true. what Orange Shirt Day is, you should Google that. It's okay. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. I, I, it I don't. Is. I, I don't didn't have know to that. Google I have it. one orange shirt. Yeah. I, By the time I people hear this, any. it will no longer be Orange Shirt Day, That's, but still Google-worthy. For next year. Um, you could do the Big Round World with that one by any chance? It, with with what? With orange the Orange Shirt, shirt? 
I have not. I haven't done. I'm so behind on my big well, blue, blue doesn't August, wear a shirt. So blue. That's so. true. Blue. Blue is naked. He doesn't. You could yeah. put a shirt on him though. Um, I could. Can I just I tell a, 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 sto- <laughs> a story really quickly? That's about Sean's hair. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure Sean remembers. Maybe. Remember that that Oscon we went to a million years ago, back when Oscon was a thing. I think it was both of our first trips to Oscon, and we were in the hotel, and you know, going between events and and somebody came up and and stopped you and said hey you're sean powers from linux journal right and 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 you're like yes i am and you felt great i could tell you were just like it was beaming and (laughs) blushing and all of these it was wonderful and um you know they had seen your videos and they said yeah i recognized you from far away even from the back because i recognized your hair yep yeah, that's wow. absolutely that right. Like, in fact, I I do. I tell that best. story, and uh, I loved that. Yeah, it's funny. So, in my hair, I mean, that was a long time ago. My hair was far more in existence back then. <laughs> it was far less thinned and far less receded. And yeah, it was crazy. So maybe this is the next generation of recognizable Sean hair. Maybe I mm-hmm. have to go I think, with I think, mm. color. I think you should keep it. I think yeah. you, know, you mean maybe rotate the color, but I really like the yeah, green. I do too. I've and I'm I like it more than I probably should. It's really enjoyable to have mm. green hair. <laughs> That's it makes great. me happy. And you know, yeah. what what is the point other than making people happy, right? So um, <laughs> it's on brand yeah. for me, yeah. right? Yeah, it's good stuff. Okay, well, anyway. so (laughs) Thank you both for doing this again, like we do most most weeks. Um, And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back next time. We we may pick up this conversation about tribalism. You never know. Or we may talk about something completely different. You'll just have to tune in and see. Yeah. If okay. anybody knows how to scale society, let us know. <laughs> yes. Huh? Well, society's already scaled. There's no scaling. Well, yeah. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Thanks all. Yeah.